0: Hello and welcome to episode seven of the Stelvio Chronicles. My name is Sean Smith. Can you believe it's only been two weeks since the last one? It's amazing. It's like it's like I had nothing else to do with my life for the last couple of weeks. Um, well, I'm here. I'm joined today by a returnee, none other than Alistair Walker from the West Country. Hello, Al. Good day, all. Hello. And uh, today we're going to be talking about something that uh, is cool, different, fast interesting, awesome,
1: and spectacular,
0: small. small and not as expensive as Hard the half million pounds biker I uh, posted yesterday. Um, we're going to be talking about RC racing, which we both enjoy.
1: Yep, in fact, that's what we're up to this afternoon.
0: We are. I'm currently down in uh, near Melksham. We're in Devizes, aren't we? Yes, Devizes. Yeah. We're in Devizes. Um, we're going to go to Melksham later, which is a part of the West Country, you know, that country which is west of elsewhere. Um, and we're going to be doing some racing. Um, this podcast will be talking about uh, how basically how we got into it, the humble beginnings, as it were, moving through to the relevance between RC racing and the real world, as it were, the big cars, and just you know, generally having a discussion about RCs, because they're cool. They've got plenty of talking points, and uh, we enjoy it, so we've got plenty to discuss about. So, hi, Al. Hi, Show. <laughs> <laughs> right then, where did you, in fact, yeah, where was your first memories of RCs? Woo. So, my first memories
1: of RCs are sort of a mixture of memories and a photograph. My father was into RC cars. He didn't ever race, but he did always have them about. So, one of my sort of earlier memories is standing in a closed car park at night, messing around with this um, Subaru-bodied RC car Mm. that my dad had, which did actually later in its life go on to race, but that's...
0: Is that, is that, I think I remember that one, actually. That it's was the Dirt Lotus, as it was later known. Um, well, mine was actually when I was seven years old. Um, before that, I had, like, the Dash the Dog sort of RC toy. Um, but when I got to seven, my nan bought me a... Uh, what was it called an Artin Supertret? It cost fifteen ninety nine in Argos. And uh, it was basically like a sort of... The, the, the stereotypical dirt buggy sort of thing, with a big bumper on the front, the sort of... S- sleek um, body shell, big rear wing, big stubbly tires on on all four corners, and it was great fun. Um, used to go to the uh, the car park to race that around all the time um, because I like racing, I like RC cars, I like cool things like that. Um, I had that for many years, and then through the years it came through to my Niko, which is much the same thing apart from bigger and faster. And then in 2006, I bought my Tamiya Mad Bull, which is a big. Um, it's not that big. It's just a one-tenth scale um, buggy with two-wheel drive at the rear. Plenty of four million horsepower, I think it has, give or take. Uh, box. It took me six hours to build uh, on the day that England were knocked out of the World Cup by Portugal. Mm. Fun fact. Um, I, that for, I still have that right now. It's still sat on my shelf at home. But that brought me into my love of Tamiya, and that eventually got me to University a Hertfordshire, where we jump forward now into the future. Um, so, what, what year we start university, was it 14 or 15?
1: It was 14, because 15 was our second year when I bought my silly car.
0: Yeah, so it's 2014, I um, went to this uh, introductory lecture in Freshers' Week uh, with Dr Howard Ash of UH, uh, University of Hertfordshire, and um, he was presenting this, this club he wanted to build um, called UHRC, UHRC Club, um, where basically we get one scale, one tenth scale touring cars, which are, it's a class in, in RT racing. It's basically the, you have saloon bodies on top of either carbon fiber, graphite, or plastic chassis, and you go racing around there. Um, and you wanted to do that club, I think it was, there was quite a big group in first year. There was a lot of, uh, there was about 10, 15 people turned up in the first week. I was sold instantly, I was like, yeah, I've always wanted a, <laughs> to race RC cars, it's fantastic. So I bought myself the car of my dreams, the car I didn't buy when I had a look at my mad bull, and that was a Tamiya rtt one which as we found out, is the best car in the world.
1: Debatable, we'll get to that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we joined the, joined the first year, did some racing, I started off, spent 60 quid on it. Um, it came with a motor, a battery some tires it was it was the slowest thing on the grid i'm not going to lie it had a top speed of about five miles miles per hour which turned out to be incredibly slow Uh, (laughs) and um yeah as it turned out i had to do a a proper old school development race um to get that car up to speed, which included changing the motor changing the battery actually doing some setup on the tires because it was originally a drift a drift spec car which meant the the wheels had outbound uh camber and yeah, it was it was what Howard described as basically a brick um, in terms of its suspension. <laughs> so uh, I had to soften it all up and make it good for racing. Um, by second year, it was a, a much more competitive car. I sort of had I'd learnt the ropes of driving touring cars properly, and uh, I decided to try and reel some of my fellow col- uh, university people in and uh, to join me to have some fun. And that's where Alistair comes in.
1: Yeah, so that's where I'd come in. I. So, in between the years of remembering going down to a car park and starting racing, I had had a one-tenth off-road buggy. That thing never really got fully built. Um, I never actually did the body shell for it. It just got messed around with occasionally. I know when it snowed a couple of times, my dad wrapped it in a plastic bag to protect the electronics and just ragged it around in the snow... I then decided a couple of years, so it would have been about 2012, that I fancied a 110 Touring car. So I sold some little RC cars and this off-road buggy, and I went and bought something called an HPI RS4. That's and classic. I kind of... I got this car working. I got a nice um, Tamiya... not Tamiya, HPI Ford Mondeo Touring car shell, the rapid-fit ones... And I started painting that and I just used to drive around b qs car park with it and then that kind of ended up sitting for a year until Sean said to me, oh yeah, Al, you should come along, this is great. And and I was right. Yeah, and I pretty much ended up in the same place Sean described. I took this car to its first meeting. It had never been raced by me. I'd never done RC racing. I Reasonably... Experienced racer. I've done three years of short oval racing in the UK. Full size racing. I've done some little bits of karting here and there. I do a lot of sim racing. So, yeah, then decided I was going to give this RC stuff a go. Got to my first meeting and I was slow as heck. (laughs) I couldn't keep up with anything down the straights Um, and I could go flat through the corners. My car was that slow. It's quite fun going flat through corners. It is, I do miss it occasionally, um, and I'm going flat through sweepers now with the current car.
0: Yeah, but the fact was that both of us, in our infancy of the sport, um, we had these cars which were just blown out of the water, um, so we both had to do what is known as the development race. Um, and it turned out that in that presentation Howard um, showed to everyone saying, oh yeah, you need about £500 pounds to uh, get a, a reasonably high-spec, fast car. That's what he said, yeah, in his presentation, um, and I thought, nah, it won't be that much. Three is down the line <laughs> It was five hundred pounds I'd spent on my Tamiya. But to be fair, a lot of that had been in replacing parts and upgrading parts, which I should if I if I'd done it these days I'd probably spent about two two hundred quid. We'd probably get you a half decent one these days, two hundred and fifty quid. If you wanted to go through all the upgrades. But um
1: I mean yeah. to anyone listening I could and I will um I'll send it to Sean and get him to post out with the mm. podcast. I could probably set up a touring car for first season from having absolutely nothing to being on the grid for about 250-300
0: yeah that's including all the electronics all the uh, there's a lot of electronics Um and all the radio radio gear that you can probably get about 300 pounds will get you onto the uh, the unembarrassing level is what I would call it um, at University of Hertfordshire but um, yeah, it turned out, but, but that should, we should definitely point out first before we move on. As much money as we did end up spending <laughs> with our development race, um, money does not equal happiness or success or wins because I never won. Well, I, I won lots of races but never any events, so I spent more money than anyone else. Um, you have to learn. You have to use a lot of logic. You have to go onto a lot of um, websites and get a lot of some people's opinions to get the best out of your cars. Um a lot of that through my, my case came through trial and error. Um and sort of just learning on the fly. Al when he uh, when he when he was in second year and joined joined the fray, um, he did a lot of trial and error, but he also did a lot of you did a lot of um a lot of research as well into each car you were doing in terms of how you wanted to Yeah, go a bit I also faster, especially after university.
1: Yeah, your listeners will probably I went rather overboard when I started racing, so obviously I started with just the car I'd had going around car parks. And, as I say, it was very slow. Um, So I went online to look for some upgrades for this Mm. car. And what I ended up stumbling upon was another HPI RS4, which was a Generation 2. And it had been someone else's race car before. Mm. And the person was selling it as basically everything they'd owned they were getting out of RC Racing. And I decided I was having that. And then I ended up the Subaru I mentioned messing around with my father with. I then picked that up from my house. So I had three chassis (laughs) sat at home. I had two controllers, I think, at the time. And I had some spare motors from where I'd bought this car and I had a couple of spare speed controllers and I just thought, I've got more than one working car here. So I decided, I've got one of my friends, one of mine and Sean's friends, and sort of said, much like Sean had said to me, do you want to come and give it a go? Difference being, I have a car you can borrow. (laughs) This then, as Sean saw, Sean during our time racing in the second year, focused very much on his own car. Yeah, the
0: SSR team. The second most successful team, quote-unquote, um, slash driver, car, pairing. Actually, no, I was third. I was third, third, third most successful team. Until the AWR team <laughs> emerged like a, like a juggernaut it was, coming from tiny, humble beginnings. So I think it was, what, nine cars one weekend?
1: No, it was eight at my peak, eight. but that wasn't regular. Yeah. So I then started running multiple cars. I ended up running all three that I had.
0: Who was your first driver?
1: So, ooh.
0: Was it Chris or Sam?
1: I think it was Sam. Because the initial... Well, the first meetings where I had a larger team was when I had three cars and it was me, Sam and Matt. Yeah. Because I think I qualified in one final and they qualified in the one below. Mm. And I shouted at them for crashing into <laughs> each other.
0: It's difficult being a team boss.
1: Yes. <laughs> Although, quite amusing. I then... So, a trait I'll fully admit about myself is I am a hoarder. Yep. I hoard things. Um. And my late father was also a hoarder. One of the things he hoarded was cars. Uh, my father had a workshop with about 10 Fiat's, Lancia's and Alfa Romeo's in it. I didn't have a workshop. I did have some money saved up and I did have a room. <laughs> which then ended up looking like a one ten scale version of my father's workshop <laughs> when I started collecting RC cars. Um,
0: I can attest in- to this. You had... There was your, your chest of drawers, which had three cars on top of it. I think it had four, because they only just fit on top oh, of it. Oh, was it four? Okay. There was three or four cars on his chest of drawers, and then if you just looked around your room, you would just find these just things poking out of each little orifice in your room. It was uh... Yeah,
1: because there was a couple of times... I acquired one three cars one time, because there was one in the bundle I wanted, <laughs> and it, I was willing to pay the price for that one car in the bundle, and then I sold one of the others on, mm. which I think I sold them all on in the end, but...
0: But it was, it was, that was particularly fun at university in the fact there were it was a multi-level uh, multi-divisional sort of thing you had these super hyper cars like mine was one of them yours uh, was pretty close especially when matt scott was driving it which was, which was your best one you had the top who's your favorite but your yeah, ultimate ultimate the one
1: top photon which was made by a little company called tokyo hobbies option parts in japan was a really, really nice car, handled really nicely. That was
0: what I finished racing with. And you crashed it into a wall.
1: Yes, I broke the steering in my last (laughs) race of the year with that. There was also the HPI, which I bought as the upgrade when I started racing. Mm. And that was the one... I think that one went directly to Matt Scott, and Matt Scott always pretty much had that car.
0: And uh, then we came down the list, um, especially with the AWR franchise. Um, you came down to the the sort of reasonable level ones. You did some. Uh, I, with Sam, I helped him when he bought his Maverick Strada in first yeah, year. Yeah, because Sam
1: abandoned me. Yeah, he. Uh,
0: we, had, we had we had politics at, at university of a RC club. Um, they had the the team fracturing apart and growing still. Um, the green GP, I think it was called from Sam. Uh, came apart with his Maverick Strada. And actually, did pretty well for the first half of the year. Um, before you, we have developed him. <laughs> and um, yeah, well, the problem is I just kept acquiring
1: cars. Every yeah. time I was bored, a car would turn up. I actually it was kind of a mini goal at the time. There was four generations of HPIRS four, and for a few meetings, I had myself and three friends that were my drivers. And we had every single generation of RS4 it was brilliant. running together. I still, I
0: still remember, I think, was it the, the Pro 3? Obviously, something, the Evo 3, which was the one you tried to uh, get first mm. it converted, just didn't work at all? No,
1: that was the Pro 4. Oh, that was the... Because the 1, 2 and 3s were belt-driven. That's right. The 4 was shaft-driven, and I'd always wanted this car. It was the one when I bought my original 110 Touring car. It was the car I'd looked at and thought, "I want that. That's cool as mm. anything."
0: Came to the reality, and it just it, that. Yeah, I bought and it, work. and it was horrible. Yeah. I sold
1: it for spares in the end.
0: Sounds like my 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 Seven I sold this year. Um, I still think you should have get that car. Well, I mean, that's, that's that's At this point, I would have bought that car off you. Well, you should have told me. I didn't know I wanted it at the
1: time. <laughs> How much did you sell that for in the end?
0: Uh, hundred and I basically, got paid for it fee. So, I made I mean, made lost no money, and that gave all the money to you for your mini. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: if I'd known i wanted it, I
1: probably would have done a straight swap. For oh, me.
0: it doesn't matter. It's essentially what happened anyway. Um, anyway, so we, uh, we we had the multi multi layered divisions sort of in University Half Jour Racing. And uh, that that was, you had strict fights between drivers, you know, proper feuds. You had these little inter team battles as well, especially when Chris beat you in second year in the championship the no. Owl in yes. your own team <laughs> with my own car. Yeah, the better bit I think what I thought was funny was when Chris did a walkout one weekend because you had so many cars that he that were having so many trouble, so many little tiny troubles with, and you you were getting a bit a bit stressed about the whole situation, which was completely understandable. And Chris was like no, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm not gonna ra- 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 you. I'm gonna let out, chill out, sort sort so stuff out, and I'll come back next week.
1: I, just, I don't ha- remember him. Oh no one out, ever, dad, has no one told actually. you that story? No, I oh, don't Chris, remember
0: that. Chris mention it in the comments later that that was that was a, my favourite story. Um, then we had the break up, obviously, with Sam leaving the team. Uh, we had, you had the you had Jordan Baxter, Monty, Gavin, Danny Clayton raced raced race for you once.
1: Briefly, yes. Yep. I think um, Alex Bull raced for me once. Yeah, as Bull, well. Alex. Because uh, I know I always had. It's not a requirement of RC racing, but it's something I do personally. Is much like. Um, you see British touring cars where they have the driver's surname in the window. I always did that. <laughs> that was cool. And there were some cars that were always... The surname in the window was always changing. On that note, Chris, your surname is too long.
0: <laughs> um, but no, it was an awesome time. And then we come to after university, after I finished for two years running. Fuck you, Ryan. You beat me by one point. <laughs> thing you may want to edit the FU out. Well, I'm allowed to do it. It's my, it's my thing I can do, I want. Anyway, um... He beat me, and then we went to, I went on on mini-retirement for a while, that's what I called it. Um, our, you then went back home, found an, a new RC place, which is where we're going today. And Went we completely
1: were... <laughs> the opposite direction to your retirement. Yeah,
0: you uh, stepped up a bit more, and uh, we then went into the big project, which was your, what's your current car called? Is it Tamiya?
1: Tamiya TB Evo 5, that's the one. which then has an Exotec conversion... And lots of bits borrowed from four one nine
0: hmm. and that was again just a case of to become competitive in the the bigger the bigger scene with bigger, faster cars, bigger tracks. the tracks is sort of twice as big in Melchham as it was in Hertfordshire. I'd look at a video recently it was it's it's literally, it's, it, it's two carpets wider it's a it's a big difference um but no <laughs> there's there's it's it's really interesting how these cars. Can be so outclassed and then outclassed again when you go somewhere else. There's, It's, it's like much like motor sport level. You have the club level, then you have the national level, international level. Yeah, so at
1: UH we were definitely very much of a club level. We also had not budget. really many rules. No, <laughs> completely open.
0: I <laughs> included my, uh, yeah, me just trying to get as much power as possible. And then Michael Chandler came with his, what, nine, 7.5 turn.
1: I think it was a 4.5 was turn brushless yeah.
0: motor. Um give him about hundred miles per hour straight line. But he yeah, had no
1: right <laughs> one of my cars off. He
0: did. He did do that. Um Mike if you're listening, feel guilty. Feel guilty. But no, that's, that's reminiscing on on the uh, on the past. But um the point I was gonna, I was gonna start to move on to was um how these cars actually relate in many ways to the, the motorsport real what the full size cars. Um these cars they very much are Miniaturized, as well how did you say every single year, very much miniaturized um, race cars. They have suspension. They have working. Their their with their tires and wheels matter. The way that they're set up with camber and toe and their adjust their adjustability on angles for everything. It's and the stiffness. I find that was the biggest change from from my, my yeah car.
1: chassis stiffness does make a big difference. There's also things that. You can adjust on RC cars that you might not always think of adjusting hmm. on a road car. I mean, they are adjustable on things like F1, Le Mans cars. You get things like adjustable roll centres. It's not necessarily something people often think of adjusting, but it can make a huge difference to the way the car handles.
0: Yeah. Um, it's quite easy to do on a competition-grade RC car. It is. Uh, that's the point a of lot, a lot of these cars... Where you come in at your price point, you have different variations on how much setup you can do to each car. Like for example, a out of the box Tamil TTO one has no adjustability to the camber. Um, it's everything's more or less rigid. Um, but then you come to at least you can establish one step one stage up to the the free racing conversion for that chassis. Where as you can see on my car, we're looking at right now has anti roll bars. It has camber, camber adjustment, toe adjustment. There's a lot of uh, the alternative
1: step up would always be a Tamia T
0: B. That's exactly the point. You can then enter at the higher price point on the, on the manufacturer's uh, list. Well, I'd
1: call a Tamiya TB a mid-range. Yeah, but car. it's still it's still above a TTO one, isn't it? Yeah, because yeah.
0: the TTO one is a brick. But <laughs> good, the best brick you've ever seen. That's the best brick I've ever seen. Most <laughs> of them are bricks. Yeah, my one is very special. Um, and then you have the the full on full fat. 99 Ron, 100, yeah, the best kind, the Tamiya TRFs and the equivalents. These cars literally race at world championships.
1: Yeah, so we have, um, much like everyone's probably heard of the FIA, another body which they won't, a lot of you won't have heard of, is the International Federation for Model Auto Racing. And they're basically, it's a direct equivalent to the FIA, but they oversee... Scale motorsport, um so same sort of situation. Then they then oversee national clubs. So in the UK we have the BRCA, the British Radio Controlled Association. In America they've got RAW, who are the remotely operated auto racers association. Oh, I'm impressed
0: by you remembering this. Is cool. Because I've actually raced with.
1: Them. <laughs> um, and then you've got other national members, um and a lot of these. So like the BRCA are national. is an affiliate member of the MSA who are the body for full size motorsport so it does tie in quite a lot Mm. and it's possibly an unseen world of motorsport because as Sean mentioned you do get drivers fighting for actual world championships Mm -hmm. so people like Tamiya Yakomo, Schumacher X-Ray actually fight for a world title, Durango which uh, Durango went
0: bust that's not the point, Um, these (laughs) three
1: Yeah, these companies all fight for world championships, which are held semi-annually for RC racing.
0: Biannually is the word, isn't
1: it? Yes, biannually. Yeah. you're right. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, so there's a multitude of classes, there's sort of three standard scales. You've got one tens, one eighths, which is mostly used for off-road, one twelfth, which is mostly indoor on-road, hmm. And then you also have one-fifths, but one-fifths are very expensive and <laughs> very, not a yeah, lot of huge. people race them.
0: I really want one, but... I've always considered it. The largest I ever went was a one eighth scale Formula 1 car. It was too big. I didn't like it.
1: That's um, not a... one eighth as I say, it's normally used for operation. It was a yeah. toy,
0: but either way, it was, a, it was too big. And I went back to <laughs> um But yeah, the fact, we, we should mention, with our... Our knowledge, it's very much more around the electric side of, uh, of of the touring world. I've dabbled in the petrol side. My uncle, my uncle used to have a uh, a petrol touring car. Yeah. So
1: we get three main means of propulsion. So there's electric, mm-hmm. which is used in across the classes. Really, you can even get one fifth electric conversions these days. You get um, petrol, which is primarily used for the one fifth on and off road cars and then you get nitros which sounds as
0: cool as it is
1: yeah they're two stroke uh, I think they're nitromethane engines and they're used for 1 10th and 1 scale cars so
0: and they're rapid
1: yeah they are very <laughs> quick um, does depend slightly on the class and the layout just how much quicker they are than electrics I know the World championship level electric cars. Only really lose out to the nitros. It's partly on straight line speed and it's also partly on
0: the nitros are about ten millimeters wider than mm-hmm. electric cars. That's where you get body shells of two hundred mil and uh the normal one ninety mil, which is the uh the electric side. Um But yeah, looking at the we go back to go back to the cars. Um I couldn't think what I was gonna say. Uh, the um the cars themselves, when they come, to, what was that? What's the noise? The cars themselves—they do have. We come back to the adjustability one more time. Um, one of the biggest factors is, much like Formula One has with their tires, um, these cars run. Well, in our particular club we go to, they have a semi-stock. Um, Tire they have a recommended tyre. Yeah. It
1: is actually open tyre, but they have a recommended, which I'd say 95% of people run that yeah.
0: tyre. Um, but a lot of clubs, when you go outside of R1, they'll have a lot of stock tyres, stock um, hardness ratings, and that can, ex- that can massively change the dynamics of your car. Um, you've got to set up your... Um, as a result of your tyres, Your car might you've got to adjust the weight balance, you have to adjust the... Um, The stiffness in the anti-roll bars. You have to change the the camber angles. The uh, what's that? That is toe, isn't it? Toe. Yeah, yeah, the the toe toe toe. angle, which is how inward or outwards your wheels face. Um, There's a there's so much you need to adjust to actually get the perfect handling car for the track situation you're you're racing in. Whether it's a wide open fast track, or if it's a tight and twisty one, because I found particularly with my tto one when I changed from the the stock chassis tub the tito one to the free racing uh, graphite one it would it massively changed the, the stiffness which made that the car was pitching in faster it was holding its line it was much harder to drive it on fast wide tracks yeah, but it but it massively um <laughs> it improved the um the, the darty twisting. the slow speed yeah the, the slow speed the stuff um and i'm sure driving your as many cars as you have al you've uh found a lot of differences from car to car
1: yeah I've also I've pretty much gone through a lot of the evolution of touring cars so another big thing that's changed over the life of these things being in competition is how they're powered so they used to run very basic brushed motors and uh, NICAD batteries Mm -hmm. through to these days we use three pole brushless motors and lithium polymer batteries which are a lot more stable and the cars were a lot quicker because of it. Yeah. And a lithium
0: polymer battery is very much the case that you'll have maximum power for about what, about 90 percent of its charge and then it'll just drop off yeah. instantly. Whereas you'd anyone who's had a toy car you'll find the NICAD and nickel metal hydride batteries will sort of slowly caress down to zero eventually and you'll start juddering when it gets too low. Um and that's particularly helpful with racing because you need to try and have your top performance for as long as possible
1: yeah so it was one of the big selling points when live post first came in which was around 2007 actually Cause i have researched it quite a bit <laughs> weirdly um partly for other classes hmm. uh, that i run in um yeah big thing of them was you maintain more of the car's performance for more of the run especially so Races aren't normally that long for electric RC cars. Mm-hmm. Um, tonight's racing we run for four minutes around. Yep. Um, other tracks I've been to, five minutes is quite standard, yeah. and I have actually raced somewhere that did
0: six. Ooh, did you get very tired by by the end of it? Because you, your mental capacity you have to do, but focusing on the track, get, watching all the hazards from other cars stranded in the middle of the, the uh, carpet to the barriers themselves and just keeping your mind in the game for what you need to do to keep a very fast, very consistent pace. Yeah, I mean, looking at eight-second eight laps.
1: time wasn't much for a challenge. The challenge there was I was running on tyres I'd never used before.
0: Okay. So you, did you find there was quite a change in the shift of uh, the balance of the car from the tyres and the, the way yeah, they were heating up? Yeah,
1: they were a harder tyre than what I normally use.
0: Yeah, so I remember when I had, at University of Oxford, we had these foam racing tyres, I decided to run 30 millimetre, which is a big uh, width for RC cars, um, front tyres. And I found my, my front grip was fantastic, it was brilliant, until three minutes into the race where it became so, it just grip rolled, which is when literally the car will dig in and roll itself over with its own momentum um going into corners but i nearly left the field before i crashed a lot
1: yeah one of my drivers matt scott had exactly the same problem Mm. with large foam tires on
0: that's the point with with drivers you need to become someone who can react and can know what the car is vaguely going to do uh know how to drive around problems whether that's damage related or if that's to do with tires or battery or anything else they they are very much real racing cars in, in a sense. They they just have just as many factors as most, uh, maybe not F one cars, but but may, many racing cars you'll see on TV. You have to the drivers have to cope with very similar situations, and uh, yeah, they're cool cars, man.
1: Actually, thinking about uh, one thing we haven't brought up yet that people might be surprised to hear is aerodynamics.
0: Yes, that's I I I looked at my shelf for a good three minutes going. We're going to talk about aerodynamics now. Completely forgot about it. Um, yes, do you, want, do you want to kick that off?
1: Yes, yeah, so I've had quite a big experience with aerodynamics recently. For a large part of the time I've been racing, I've resisted. Um, so me and Sean both run in one-tenth touring cars, which are a very popular category. You mm-hmm. can find them all around the UK, there's a national championship for them, there's loads of local championships. I bet to any of our listeners here that there is racing going on within a half-hour drive of you, pretty much, unless you're in Scotland, <laughs> in which case you might need to drive a bit further. Um, but one of the things that came from the international side of it is a global specification for aerodynamics. It kind of it doesn't mandate the shape of the shells. What it does is limits. Much like the F1 rules, it limits how big something can be. It It provides limits limits the working areas. Yeah, it provides minimum and maximum dimensions and then manufacturers design shells within this. Hmm. Um, So most of the time I've been racing, from when I started until this year, I used a shell that predated this and a shell which wasn't necessarily designed solely for competition. Um, And I did okay with this shell. I did definitely notice, even with that though, that the rear wing made a big difference on it. Uh, Sean will recall one instance, I had another car hit me, Mm -hmm. and it knocked one side of my rear wing loose. And after that happened, I couldn't go flat out through the big sweeping corner we had as Turn 1 that day,
0: because my car purely didn't have the downforce yeah I had exactly the same situation in university when I had this uh, these I had my Honda sh- Honda shells um, and both of them had these not very good at all they were very cheap and tacky wings but even without them you could tell the back was looser it was not going into the corners it wasn't very well controlled on the braking and I particularly found that out when I got into second year with my fiari which uh, regular listeners will uh, remember me saying to Sam the other day and um, This is a car which was looked and it was a Chinese knockoff shell of the uh, Ferrari FXX, and it had a (laughs) one of these cheap wings which I taken off the rubbish struts, screwed it into the rear wing of the uh, of the EXX to actually give it quite a steep plane on the back, um, and it actually generated real downforce. Um, And this one time, I literally got whacked much like how the wing got stripped off. And again, the car, the back of the car, was just like it was on ice. It was skipping around all over the place. Um, but still, being me, I, uh, I didn't fully appreciate the uh, the benefits of aerodynamics until I came to uh, down here to the um, the West Country to try their try their cars. And uh, I brought back from the dead my Dodger Dart shell, which is a proto form which conforms to the regulations which Asa had just mentioned.
1: Yeah, so I recently switched to one of these global body spec shells as well. I use uh, one from a different manufacturer. But it's not just... We've talked a lot about the rear wings. The shape of the shell in general and also where you mount it make big differences to how the car handles. How far forward it is relative to the wheelbase of the car makes a difference in the kind of response you get, whether you get a more darty or stable response. Mm -hmm. Um, Being at the level I'm at, I only have the one shell I race with. When you get up to the level of national championships and international things, drivers will quite often have multiple shells with them for a race meeting, and will change between them to find the one that gives them the best handling balance. Is that also for the that case, track? Is,
0: is that also the case that if they have a big knock and it dents the shell they'll want to swap it out for a new one potentially? Is that is that just a very is that a very extreme scenario they they would go through or would they just have be trying to find the best one for their car in particular?
1: I've not known that to happen, but I don't follow international racing to okay. that level. I know who won the world championship this year but it wasn't
0: Hamilton.
1: No, it was X-Ray <laughs> this year.
0: <laughs> That's all I know, is it was not Tamiya, never. I didn't care. Um,
1: <laughs> they haven't won for a few years now. No,
0: it. but, you know, they they still have won a lot. I think they're still the most winningest manufacturer uh, in that category.
1: They're up there. I think Tamiya and Touring Cars have five world championships. Yeah. None of which were the Japanese driver, interestingly. Oh, really? Yeah. A lot of which were the German called Mark Reinhardt.
0: Mm, and the Dutch bloke.
1: Yes, I can't remember the Dutch man's name.
0: Mm. Mr. Mr. Dutchman, we're going to call him, um, so we don't get sued. Anyway, um, but uh, no, that's that's a good point there. That shows literally the uh, the scale from which you can go from the absolute club roots, you know, 60 pound with a cheap 10 pound shell, all the way up to these uh, these work of art, essentially these aerodynamic shells, which literally make all the difference to the car. If uh, one thing I particularly noticed at university, when you run with no shell at all. It is night and day difference compared to when you're running with a downforce shell such as the Protoform. Such as
1: the only reason I run without a shell these days is when I'm checking the tracking of the car, and that's just because I'm too lazy to put one on. Absolutely. But at that point, I'm only ever doing walking pace, making sure the car doesn't veer off left or right. Yeah,
0: but as we said before, the all these these super good shells and the expensive stuff you can buy for the car means nothing at all if you can't drive
1: (laughs) no you could give the worst driver the a world champions car and they wouldn't be able to make use of it it does come down i have seen people with not the most expensive cars do really well on occasion and Um. i've seen the other way around um you do get some people though that kind of like myself like to upgrade the car as like a sub hobby much like people would do to a full size car Yeah. so if you were to take my current RC race car for example that thing is uh, I wager there is not another one Running to that specification anyway mm.
0: you can get uh, there is a lot of diversity between the manufacturers and then the the sub subgenres in the manufacturer itself where people have done their different upgrades they've done their different um, conversions such as my one um or or indeed if they just kept in stock or it's, it's very much people trying to find what's best for them and their their style mm. or indeed the people just trying just you know doing guesswork trying to find out what might or might not work
1: yeah because you get sev- there's several people i know you get people that kind of upgrade their cars a lot more often mm-hmm. go to whatever i know x-ray particularly who are a very big rc manufacturer they're world champions this year they will bring out a revised car every year which is a bit like a Call of Duty game, there's about <laughs> three things on it that have changed. But they will bring it out anyway. Mm, and charge um, full price. Yes. <laughs> Whereas someone like Tamiya, the manufacturer and me, and Sean both get cars from... will bring cars out less frequently, but they're still of quite a high level if you buy their competition-level stuff.
0: Like the TTO1. No, no, not
1: TTO1. A TTO1, if anyone's curious, is basically...
0: The best car in the world.
1: A brick with a motor in it that you can
0: buy for cheap. Yeah, you can literally buy them for like less than 50 quid with some electronics already inserted.
1: Yeah, I could probably find about three on eBay for 60 quid at the
0: moment. But my one is not a standard TTO1. No,
1: your one's as standard as my one is.
0: Um... Yeah, Mike. I mean, let's just, just to go through some of the changes which you can do to RC cars. I'm going to point out the fa- things which are stock from my rt 0 one. There's a screw hold, <laughs> holding holding the uh, the bracket on, and that's it.
1: Yeah, I'm in a similar-ish boat. So my car was originally produced in two thousand and five. Um, that screw. Yeah, since I've owned it, it's had. A conversion. It's had the drivetrain, so the differentials changed for newer spec ones from later versions of the car, um, and it's had the suspension completely converted from the generation of car it was originally to the later specification suspension that Tamir fit to their race level cars. So there's equally very little standard on my car Mm
0: -hmm. but no these that's the point is that they're they're sort of like chocolate box in a way, you can pick and choose, pick and mix that's the word you can pick and mix whatever you want from all over the place um, to make the car unique in a way Um, and a lot of it makes a difference, a lot of it doesn't Um, just because it's shiny and blue doesn't always mean it's better you know you can have different quality and parts, you can have a range of different things. I mean, most of my stuff is either free racing or Tamiya um, upgrades these days. But when I was going through first and second year at university, I found there was a lot of stuff which might have looked quite nice, but it uh, wasn't necessarily the... Uh...
1: On that note, actually, I had an interesting one, um, something people might not think would cause an issue. I had a fan mount on my motor to help keep it cool. Mm. And because of the way it was designed, and because both myself and Sean used shaft driven four wheel drive cars my one it wasn't a particularly tight fit to the motor can so it would come loose and when it came loose it managed to knock the prop shaft when it knocked the prop shaft it shifted the motor away from the spur gear so you've only got two gears on an RC touring car normally you've got
0: a A small pinion gear
1: on the motor and then a spur gear into the drive train. but yeah I was stripping spur gears Because of this fan mount, Mm -hmm. um, so I now have a different one which clamps onto the case, and I've never had an issue since then.
0: That's the last sort of last point I want to go into, which is which is the gearing, which is very important. We see with um, Formula E, the electric single seater formula, when they started, they had this stock five speed um, gearbox. I can't remember who did it, it might have been Williams, um, but then in year 2 or 3 the manufacturers were allowed to put their own technology into the gearbox and you saw instantly all the manufacturers went down from 5 speeds to maximum three speed and a couple of them going for one single speed Um, and these RC cars are single speed um, transmissions they have one, one small pinion gear which the driver can change, make it bigger if you want to have a higher top speed smaller if you want to have more acceleration and much the same with the spur gear which is the other way around. Bigger means you'll have more top speed, smaller means you'll have more acceleration. Yeah. Now, the reason
1: drivers typically change the pinion gear is purely practicality. You could change both and for general setup you do occasionally change both but the spur gears are normally a lot more built into the drive frame of the car. It's normally
0: a lot more work yeah, to remove the spur I mean, the gear. Samuel's, the ttr one in particular you have to take up the whole rear gearbox section just to slide off this one gear um, whereas the, the pinion which is attached to the motor is literally one screw bolt take it out, slip the new one in, screw it back on and it takes literally about a minute um, but what I was going to say is these gearing in particular with electric cars is very very important because you can do a lot of damage by getting the gearing wrong you can either in terms of, over, mainly in terms of overheating the electronics and the motors in particular, I found when I put too high a gear, um, what's the ratio number? Yeah, gear ratio.
1: Yeah, if your gear ratio is lower, That's it. going for more top speed, and you're putting the motor under more load, you yeah, can it. potentially overheat it.
0: Yes, and I found this was a particular case early on. So I had no idea about any of this. And I, um, I blew, I think it was three motors in two weeks, which was incredibly... Impressive. Yeah, these are brush ones, and it wasn't entirely my fault, but that's not the point. Um, and that was because at the time I was very naive as the fact that uh, any of this actually existed. And yeah, but the 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 it's it's relevant to the Formula E stuff because they because electric motors have instant torque, um, and with RC cars with the top with the speeds we're doing, which is about what, 20 miles an hour on the tracks we go to, maybe a bit faster.
1: I'm not actually sure what the speed is in miles an hour. It's probably... i just gauge it off everyone else's yeah. car.
0: Yeah, they, they get up to about 20 miles per hour-ish. Um, maybe a tad faster, maybe a tad slower. Um, but when it comes to that, we only need the one gear, which is to take us out from zero to top speed um, in the matter of, what, about two seconds, two or three seconds?
1: Yeah, the other thing is, unlike... Say F1, we don't have pit stops in electric racing or anything. Unless you have a problem. (laughs) Yeah, and if you have to stop for a problem, that's pretty much your race over, isn't it? Yeah.
0: Endurance races do have it, though.
1: There's not many electric RC car endurance races.
0: But they do have it. Anyway, sorry, carry on.
1: Um, Yeah. So we're not having to start multiple times, so you're mostly aiming for a range that gives you... Good acceleration while you're running because you only really ever stop if you've had an incident.
0: Other than that, you just keep rolling. Mm. I mean, not literally because that's a bad thing. It means you have done. A bad setup. Keep the your... wheels rolling. Yeah. That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, that's the point. These these cars are very much they, they, as, as I said earlier. They are basically miniature race cars. They they react literally to what you, the driver. Inputs into the steering, into the throttle, into the parts that go onto the car. Um, The way you choose to drive it and the way you choose to look after it, it makes a difference. Um,
1: Yeah, I'd definitely say to anyone that's listening, if you can't afford to do full-size motorsport, which, let's face it, a lot of us can't, it's a nice... Fun. Yeah, it's not quite the same, but it's a nice substitute for full-scale motorsport and it's quite a nice environment as well that's, that was the time.
0: last point i was going to make which is the the uh, community um... for RC racing we find especially the class we've been to um... my one in Alton I've been to um... even though it's very small they were very 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 inviting people they yeah i've had the same in Aldershot
1: where it's nice and inviting that's yeah. an outdoor track i go to
0: they uh... Yeah, generally speaking most people are. Uh, although you might it'll seem especially at Melksham where there's about 30 people sometimes turn up yeah um it might seem quite daunting um seeing all these people with these all these really high carbon fiber cars loads of expensive stuff around it, loads of shiny things and normally piles of tools and power exactly. everywhere exactly it can seem incredibly daunting to anyone who's uh just joining the sport um but uh, one thing I would say is there is such a good community in RC racing in terms of the people willing to help you with their knowledge, banks of information, particularly you know people like Simon at, uh, at, at Melton. Yes,
1: Simon especially. There's also, especially if you decide you want to try racing somewhere else, if you're new to a track, you'll quite often find people are quite receptive. Mm. I had this recently. I travelled to the US to visit my partner, and I went to race in Seattle. So Alistair first, is an
0: international RC racer.
1: Yeah, one race in <laughs> Seattle. Um, yeah, the Seattle club were absolutely lovely about it. I sort of emailed them a couple of times beforehand. They lent me a set of their spec tyre for their class. And yeah, were quite happy for me to come down and give it a go at their track.
0: Yeah, it seems to be a university, just a, a generally... Whereas you might find in motorsport, everyone would be very, very competitive, very on edge. When it comes to RC racing, they're they're very, they're, they're generally just nice people.
1: And I'll be honest, with oval racing, I found as well you got a lot of very friendly people. Yeah,
0: true. I mean, it does obviously depend on which environment, which. Yeah. Same as soon as our university, I suppose, depends on uh, who you run into, but um, no, it's, RC racing is awesome. So, I mean, that's more or less it, I suppose, for this episode of uh, the Stobio Chronicles. Um, Al, you'll be racing me tonight in the. Uh, West Country with the, what's, what's it's WWMCC? Worlds
1: Model Car Club. Yeah,
0: um, where we'll be racing there, and um, I imagine you'll beat me quite soundly.
1: As long as I have my head screwed on tonight, and yeah. the car's
0: working. <laughs> um, but no, basically we'll be uh, having some fun tonight, and uh, racing our hardest. Hopefully my car will not have its wheels fall off this week, which it did last week, last time. Um I've got my new new servo. I've thrown loads of money at my car out, and it will make it better, even though what I've said all the way through this podcast, money does not make things better, unless you know what you're doing.
1: Yeah, that's a fair point. And this, as I said, for anyone interested after this podcast in starting, I'll send Sean this list to put up on the website. You don't need to throw lots of money at your car to get a good car.
0: You suspend it wisely. rather. Yeah, there are certain
1: things are worth buying a decent one of, especially things like radios. Mm. It's worth buying a decent radio. Yeah. Because then you can adjust certain things that will really help the car's handling. Yeah. And you quite often find with a slightly better radio, you get slightly smoother steering because essentially the radio has a better resolution to it.
0: I would uh, compare it to official sony ps playstation controllers compared to the knockoff brands um they have often heavier controls more dead zone similar that it, it's, very, it's very interesting you, with the radios you can spend money and get the best product out of it um compared to the cheaper alternatives
1: although there are some good value radios out there yes, unfortunately of there the one i bought is out of production that was probably the best <laughs> value package i could ever yeah. find but.
0: But that's 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 general conclusion. RZ racing is awesome fun. It's fast, exciting, electrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I hope um, you're proud of that. I'm I'm very proud of that. I fought that one for about fifty one minutes. Um, it's great fun. The community is awesome. There's pl- if you if you want to like go into the history, look at all the market and get excited over that, like I do, and the storylines you can make up with the different manufacturers. Yeah, it's it's just all encompassing, all awesome series, and I would recommend it to. Anyone who uh, enjoys racing, same here as
1: someone who's raced in multiple forms. I would thoroughly recommend trying RC racing. A lot of clubs as well. The thing we haven't mentioned, um, both West Wilts where we're racing tonight, uh, Froom which is another local one to me, and Seattle in America where I raced recently. If you're local, Seattle, <laughs> they all had what they call a club car which is one they'll lend to people who want to try it out it. before committing anything. Yeah. So if you're interested, go on to the BRCA website, find your local club, and send them an email because it's quite likely that they'll they be able to
0: help you. And Yeah, be able to help out. Um, yeah, that's what I was saying about the community. It's, it's a great overall package. But... Um, yeah that's that's going to that's going to do it. we're going to do do some final setup for our cars and uh, be heading off to the club so um that's going to do it for episode 7 of uh, the Stewy Chronicles. Um thank you Alistair for joining me again. Thank you for inviting me. Well, well, I mean I mean you have in mean your house. But, but, so... <laughs> but no, <laughs> thank, thank you for <laughs> inviting me to the show. No problem. Um and we'll see you next time. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Take care. Bye bye.